You are listening to the QSR Web Podcast. Folks, we know how hard you're working to increase sales at your restaurant, but if you're spending too much on food, you might not be seeing the profits you deserve. That's where Crunch Time comes in. Crunch Time's innovative food cost management solution allows you to identify and eliminate wasteful spending on food. When your food costs are optimized, your profits go up. Since 1995, Crunch Time has saved its customers millions of dollars every year on food and labor costs, usually lowering expenses between 2 and 5% of sales annually. Isn't it time you started saving too? Visit crunchtime.com today to request a free demo and put your restaurant on a path towards higher profits. name like K2, you'd be forgiven if you thought restaurateur John Kalaski's hospitality company of the same name was intimately connected to mountains and mountaineering like that other K2 in Asia, the second highest peak in the world after Everest. But the mountain this company climbs is that of the harshly competitive restaurant industry, where brands can fall like snow down the side of a cliff in an avalanche. Next up, K2 founder John Kalowski joins the podcast to talk about the peaks and valleys of building limited service brands today. Folks, there are tremendous costs associated with over- and understaffing in restaurants. CrunchTime's new teamwork scheduling app automatically optimizes team schedules and ensures your managers have the right people in place at the right time for every shift. With CrunchTime, staffing nightmares due to poor sales forecasts are a thing of the past. Since 1995, CrunchTime has saved its customers millions of dollars every year on food and labor costs, usually lowering expenses between 2 and 5% of sales annually. Visit crunchtime.com today to request a free demo and put your restaurant on a path towards optimized team management. You might call K2 a restaurantinator because in its past two years in existence, it has created and brought to market no less than about 11 brands, mostly limited service. And that's after our guest today, K2 founder John Kalaski, already opened more than 65 other venues over the previous 10 years before he started K2. With that kind of rate of productivity, I'm hoping today we can really pick Mr. Kalaski's brain on the art of building successful QSRs as we press forward into the 2020s. And John joins us now. Welcome. Thank you, Shelley. So excited to be here speaking with you. Well, we're delighted. Let's just get a bit of an overview of what K2 is and also what brands it currently includes. Absolutely. So K2 Restaurants is a hospitality company. Uh, We say we bring together the whimsical, the curious, and the obsessive to incubate and operate experiences that make us proud. Uh, Of those experiences, we've created brands such as Social Eat, a food discovery platform in real life. Social Eat is our interpretation of the future of food halls. We have Azule Taqueria for our taco vibes, Super Toro, our Japanese bento box concept, 
Adelaide Coffee Bar, which is coffee by day and wine and beer by night, Paperboy Pizza, Starfish in partnership with the Voltaggio Brothers, Petite Harvest, our farm fresh restaurant, Street Nudes, which is an interpretation of Asian night market noodles. We also have Nighthawk Breakfast Bar, where breakfast rules the night. We have a couple of new concepts that we're about to announce here in the near future. And we also have partnerships with incredible chefs like David Chang for his restaurant, Suku. Wow, I'm tired just listening. <laughs> um, you know, so because we kind of have a very QSR state of mind here on the podcast, I'm wondering if there is any one brand among those that you've just identified that you really think represents best what you think, quote, quick service, unquote, ought to be today and why? Absolutely. As I look at our platform and what we've built at Social Eats, uh, the ability to have choice as a consumer, for our guests to be able to come in and have an experience that can be at a reasonable price point, something that could be affordable, not just on special occasion, but can be that daily lunch or that weekend treat with friends and family, uh, really see that as an opportunity to allow people to come in and choose what they want. We want people to come in, have fun, enjoy themselves, be able to get a quality food product from any one of the brands that exists within the portfolio and know that K2 stands behind it. And we found that people truly have embraced that experience. And that's the one that just feels so great for us right now as we are growing it. So the, the specific characteristics, I guess you think that you really wanna see the industry embrace would be that choice, uh, would be that kind of array along with the reasonable price point. Absolutely. And being able to deliver that quality experience, we find that people seeing their food being prepared, uh, getting to see the person who's actually cooking their food and look them in the eye and say hello to them is a deeper connection. Uh, rather than something being created in the back where you don't really know what's happening and you just see a door fly open and your, your food come on through, we like the idea that you could see what's happening. And you know, it, it takes away that, that secret veil um, and really breaks down a, a barrier between guests and their food and the connection with their restaurant. And we feel like that creates a very special environment. Um, it doesn't allow us to perhaps hide some of the things that can happen in a restaurant. And sometimes we know things can get a little crazy behind the scenes, but that's what we love being able to share with people is sometimes restaurants get really busy and you know, there's a lot of pans on the fire and things are happening. And to me, that's just such a special moment and really cool for people to be able to see that and be like, whoa, that, that the person over there is working it. And it's like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what it takes. Theater of life, huh? <laughs> so take us a little deeper into exactly what the restaurant concept creation process is like at K2 when it comes to creating quick service brands. For instance, any guiding principles as to how you begin the conceptualization process and then follow it through to actual brand materialization. 
Absolutely. So we really look for the white space within the market. If it's creating a burger concept, what doesn't exist? Whether it's the seasoning on the meat, the farm that's providing it, the bun, the cheese, the special sauce, or the actual build out of, of the location, what is it that we can do better? What is it that isn't being done today that we could take advantage of? And we kind of start there. Um, we want it to be something that, that we're going to be passionate about. And so we're looking for concepts that we know we can execute with our skill set. And then we throw it up against a, a few different criteria. Uh, for, for us in the QSR world, we want to make sure that the product that we're delivering can be craveable. It's got to be something that, you know, you're sitting uh, on the couch in the afternoon, late at night, and you're like, oh, I miss that fried chicken sandwich. Like, that's the craveability that we want. We want that person to be thinking about Super Toro Sushi. And you're like, I just want a spicy tuna on top of crispy rice right now. So for us, it really is brought up against craveability. Is this something that we're always going to think about? The pork belly taco at Azule Taqueria? I dream about it. I dream about putting a sunny side up egg on it. I think about throwing some fresh cojita cheese on it on a Tuesday for Taco Tuesday. It's got to have that craveability. So we start there. Next component as it makes its way through, is it filling a need within the white space of that market? Is it craveable? We go into is it something that can be replicable. Is this an idea that can only exist at this one building or in this one foot traffic or business location or this one beach side this? And we, we tend to avoid that one-off. We want something that can be scaled. And really for us, it's, can this be a concept that can live outside of our core team executing it? Can we teach others how to do this? And can they do that as the third component can they do this experience consistently without our team having to be there over their shoulders every day? And so if we're looking at it, if it's craveable, if it's replicable, and can it be done and executed consistently? If the answers are yes, we continue along into the brand building process with our team. Well, I have a question for you, because, and this is from someone who is, does not operate a restaurant but writes about it a lot. Um, and that is white space in the industry. Is there any left? It just seems <laughs> like there, there's so many concepts and I'm sure, I'm sure you're finding that, but how do you, how do you even ferret that out? It's a great question. There is definitely a lot of noise in our industry. <laughs> and I think just finding what are the true brands. Uh, the restaurant industry is changing. And I think it, it's changing faster than I've seen it in my, my 20 plus years. And it's trying to see, you know, where it's going to end up. And I think with the, the QSR model and being able to deliver that high quality product, that quote unquote chef driven food, uh, farmers market fresh produce, farm raised uh, proteins and you know, uh, sub proteins in the plant market and being able to do it in a way that, that can be executed by individuals who haven't been classically trained. They didn't go to culinary school. They're not looking to work in a, in a restaurant for the next three, five, 10 years to grow. Um, I think there's, there's very small opportunities and those are the ones that we're seeking out. And I, I think it, it falls back on 
that credibility and it, it goes into us building out the systems to be able to execute it consistently. Uh, but the, the product is still there. There's still a few pieces that are missing. Uh, a few of the, the big brands haven't entered into you know, a space like fast, casual Japanese um, sushi. And we get excited about that. Awesome. I'm interested in how funding enters the picture. Is it when you're, when you're considering these concepts, are you considering the funding first, the idea first, or are you doing it simultaneously? Or what's, what's that look like? I don't know if, if this quote uh, will relate for everyone, but for me, I think about the quote of culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I look at culture as the idea. And the idea is greater than the opportunity to get out there and find funding. Meaning if you've got a phenomenal idea, figure out the funding. <laughs> um, I find that you know, great ideas get suppressed because someone gets so, so wound up in, well, I don't have the money and how do I borrow and who do I go to? And you know, they think that path to success and success is honestly just getting open on day one and having somebody pay $1 for something you've created. I find that they get so wound up in that path that they, they lose track that they had this awesome idea. So for me, it's run with the idea, figure out the funding. Um, sometimes you have to sacrifice for a while and you know, you've got to save up your own money uh, and spend years working for others before you get to roll out your own, uh, much like I did. Uh, then that's what you got to do sometimes. And it, it's being able to sacrifice uh, in order to get your idea to the market and I think there's so many people that once you get out there and you've shown that your idea is valid and it, it can be executed, uh, the funding starts coming to you. But it is getting through that initial hurdle and really just staying true to your idea and fighting to get it to that day one revenue. Popular. Um I'm wondering kind of also how important is staffing and the types of people you hired each concept's ultimate success and where does that process of bringing on staff actually begin in the, in the whole development process? Definitely as we're in that idea phase. As we're thinking about uh, Azule Takaria and who's working in that environment, what their, what their vibe is, what their energy is, it starts to really help us build the brand. It, it honestly starts guiding, like, what does the uniform look like? We want people to wear a shirt, is it a certain hat? Is it a, a bandana? Is it the apron at Adelaide Coffee Bar that's super funky and cool that has all of these little pockets for all of these cool barista things? All of that starts to really come together in the idea phase. And then we start working through identifying who our managing or our culinary managing partner is gonna be for that brand. Because ultimately they're the one that we want people to look at that we look to and say, this is the standard for our brand. This is the individual who is going to fight for our brand standards. They're going to keep our brand in line. They're going to be the one when one of us has this wild, crazy idea to add this or do that to the menu. They're going to temper it out, listen to the idea and, and help us guide it back to where the brand standard is and what's true to it. And so those individuals are truly the most important part of our brand. And so once we've identified them, uh, they start bringing in that team that resonates with them to help execute the brand on a daily basis. 
Do you all at K2 have as much of a challenge with this uh, aspect of finding talent as everybody seems to in this industry? I'd say it's, it's harder than I've seen before to find individuals who want to work in, in restaurant space in this changing environment. I think it's being able to tap into what they're looking for in a job and you know, within their career or within that summer experience that they're looking for uh, and really be able to give them those opportunities to enjoy it in order for them to be excited about coming into work every day. But it's definitely been harder than it's been before. Can you tell us why you opted to go? I, I'm just very curious about this. Why you opted to go for this kind of intensive restaurant concept creation as a business over, say, developing a brand and leading it. Uh, in other words, I guess I'm trying to figure out what really energizes you about spinning off new brands. Absolutely. I think it's that potential. Uh, it's the potential that this one idea and now 11 ideas can grow exponentially. Um, you know, having a single brand is, is a large risk. Uh, the speed of change today within our environment is, is just crazy. Um, you know, I, I think of it as that tectonic shift. Uh, not only is you know, our world and you know, the ground underneath us moving so quickly in restaurants, but the tech world infiltrating restaurants is changing everything so fast that I think you gotta, you got to make the bet on having more opportunities out there and not limit your potential because preferences are going to change and people are going to be looking for the next big thing or the next new thing. And I'd rather have a number of concepts behind us that we could test and get feedback on and then decide whether or not to grow rather than putting all of our weight behind just one concept. So you see tech as really kind of a creative force for the industry rather than maybe even detracting from creativity. Is that what, am I reading you right? I think it's going to give an opportunity for more creativity. Uh, along with that comes more noise, which isn't a good thing for our industry. But I do <laughs> believe that it's going to be able to help accelerate certain brands in a way that, that we can't understand today. The ability to scale, whether it's nationwide, worldwide, because of this different platform, I think that's part of the exciting you know, next 10 years of restaurants. And it's going to shake out a lot of the old businesses, a lot of the restaurant brands that started in the 50s and 60s that have grown and become these big behemoths. I think their world's going to change faster than anyone's because all of these small micro brands such as the ones we're building ourselves are going to be coming up and eating away at their market share and taking different risks because we can and because we ultimately have to. So the world's going to be changing a lot faster than people are used to. And those that find some comfort in that, that craziness are going to be the ones who are going to be able to grow some brands and do some really exciting things. That's interesting. So kind of the age of the smaller brand uh, that's an interesting thought because there seem to be so many um, that are really fun and really getting a lot of interest from, from diners. 
um, it's it's almost like a, a scavenger hunt. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, One and that that's the exciting part is that discovery and that opportunity to to experience something. And now, when you experience it, uh, immediately has to be shared on social media platforms. But to show people that you've discovered something, uh, much like we we aim to do with our social eats locations, where there's some food, some experience element like our self-serve beer wall that you get to take the picture in front of or the boomerang or the TikTok video of and share that with your friends and be able to tell them about something new. And all of a sudden they see that something new opening a location by them and they get excited about it. it it's a completely different way that we have to look at engaging with our guests and giving them what they're ultimately looking for within the restaurant experience. And that to me is the, the super exciting part is there's so many other channels that we get to use today that we didn't have available to us 10 years ago. 10 years ago, we wanted to get the word out about a new menu item or a new special. We had traditional media, and then we literally went door to door to tell people to drop off what that new menu item was, to show them what that is. Uh, in certain ways, it's gotten a lot harder. In other ways, uh, our world's gotten a lot easier to get that information out there. If there was one thing you would change about the QSR brand building and, and, the, and the menu development process for quick service, particularly for strict value-oriented fast food brands, what would that be? If there was one thing, it would be reducing the noise around building these brands. There's a lot that needs to go into it. There is a lot of competition, as we discussed, and there's a lot of new, fun, and exciting brands that are out there that unfortunately are never going to get the attention they deserve because there's so many other, whether it's big, massive brands getting all of the attention for one random, one-off tweak thing that they rolled out, whatever that can be that takes away from some of that fun noise that should have went to that mom and pop, that new restaurant, that awesome chef who took a crazy risk and that their life savings on this one little location. I think it's if we could reduce that noise and give that spotlight just a touch more uh, to those next new potential big QSR brands, that would be a really, really exciting moment. That's an interesting observation because I've always wondered, particularly among social media channels, who's listening? Everybody, <laughs> there's so much <laughs> posting. Who is listening? Who's reading? So it, it kind of, yeah, maybe more listening by everybody is kind of what you're getting at. Absolutely. Sometimes it's not about who's the loudest but being able to really highlight those who are doing some, some really fun things. And there's a lot of them out there, a lot of fun food that's happening. And really in the end, it's our guest, it's the consumer who's able to benefit from knowing that this amazing food, this awesome experience, this creative environment exists. And it's just being able to break through that noise and giving these opportunities to some of the, the smaller uh, brands and experiences that, it's going to be a really cool change that we'll see in the 2020s. Well, I'll certainly be listening to your brands to see how things evolve. I want to thank you so much for a fascinating look into your business and your brand. I've learned a lot, and I'm sure those listening have as well. 
And on that topic, here's to wishing all those listening and you, John, a great rest of the day and much success as we wrap up another edition of the QSR Web Podcast. Thanks again, everybody. Bye-bye now.